It's time for episode 197 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, July 12th, 2017. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast with perfect comedic timing. I am Micah Sargent, and I am, of course, joined by my wonderful host, the Dan Morin. How you doing, Dan? I am doing fantastic, Micah, and you know what the most important part of comedy is. Timing. So who are our guests this week? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am joined to my left by the one and only Florence Ion, co-host of both All About Android and also a newly announced host right here on Relay. You are the co-host at Material as well. I am. I'm part of your family now. (laughs) Yes. Welcome to the awkward Thanksgiving (laughs) dinner. And to my left, our second guest, yeah, first timer on Clockwise, though, I'm sure you know his voice from shows like Accidental Tech Podcast and Reconcilable Differences right here on Relay FM. John Syracuse joins us. Hi, John. How are you doing? I'm excited for my Clockwise debut, as far as any of us can remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, as far as we can prove, it is your debut. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and get started then. So today is an interesting day because it, it happens to be a day of action. Uh, the tech giants and startups and uh, companies looking to save us from the big bad beast that is net neutrality are uh, working today to let the world again know what net neutrality is and also try to stop it. So, um, you know, sites are putting up interstitials and saying, hey, this is what the web would look like if net neutrality uh, was not here. And apparently Slack is doing this thing where when you try to download a file, it takes all day to download. Um, I I have not confirmed that yet myself, but apparently that's a thing. So I'm just curious what you all think about companies uh, going into this and basically trying to uh, show their support for net neutrality. Is it annoying to have to dismiss these messages, or are you on board with the fact that companies are trying hard to make this happen? Net neutrality is something that I feel very, uh, I, I feel kind of shameful about the fact that I'm not as knowledgeable about it as I should be, (laughs) considering what I do for a living. And I think part of that is just because there are just all these really conflicting messages about, you know, whether it's a positive thing or not. And I think in that sense, I kind of trip up when I see companies come out of the woodworks sort of in favor of it because, or rather combating it, because it's like, I don't understand. Were you for the people or is this really... Is this really the truth that we are all run by corporations? Uh, You know, I'm going to boil it down and say that I like my net like I like my half-elf druids, and that's neutral, my friend. Um, And I think it's good that the companies do get involved in this because... I, you know, they've got the money. That's the thing. You know, the people, the populace, certainly they they can be vocal about it and they can make a difference by making those feelings known. But as I think Flo pointed out, it, it is very confusing for a lot of people who aren't necessarily super well-educated. And even those of us who are super well-educated about tech industry, it's very, it's like, it's an issue that requires um, 
some degree of nuance and uh, there are a lot of combating opinions about it so it's something that i think uh elicits a lot of confusion um but that said uh you know i think that corporations trying to explain this is kind of the effect that you know that reversing these decisions could have uh is an important standpoint to to have and it, it helps sort of you know giving something like having a file that takes all day to download you know might be a more concrete example for a lot of people of where they stand on that issue uh, even if they don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of policy details you can kind of see what the overall impact is so yeah there's there's some annoyance going on out there today in, in terms of having to deal with those sorts of things but maybe a little annoyance is worth it in the short run if in the long run we end up with better rules john what do you think i'm strongly in favor of net neutrality uh i'm not uh not confused about it at all uh and i find it kind of exhausting that you know, every time it seems like we've made some progress or won, like we have to keep refighting these same battles, right? And I guess having a day of the year that we do this, that we just assume, uh, you know, the the, the price of, of uh, data liberty is eternal vigilance, that every year we have to have this, this day where we try to make everyone aware that guess what? Corporate interests are once again trying to make the net not neutral and trying to wrest control of the internet as we've all known it to exist. And it's really complicated and obscure. And most people don't, shouldn't have to know or care about it, but it's an important enough issue that I do like seeing some way to to make people aware. Because it is, you get tired of it. You get, you know, oh, this thing again. Like maybe you don't know anything about net neutrality. You don't care. You're just like, this isn't this day of the year where everyone annoys me. What is this net neutrality? Like it's it's very weird and abstract. But I think limited to once a year, uh, it does two things. One, it keeps people aware that hey, this is a battle we keep needing to fight, as depressing as that may be. Uh, and two. It forces companies to line up. Like, I think this this peer pressure to, to be, like, in favor of net neutrality, to be one of the good guys, according to the tech nerds. And so it's, like, three degrees separated. Like, I don't care about it, but I have a nerdy friend who cares about it, and the nerdy friend uh, doesn't like companies that aren't uh, in favor of net neutrality. And so I like the peer pressure of everyone having, oh, oh, you know, it's like putting out Christmas ornaments or something. They're decorating their house. We need to decorate ours. We need to put an interstitial. Otherwise, we're not strongly in favor of net neutrality, and some people will be angry. So uh, thumbs up on this, even though, like I said, I find it depressing that we have to keep fighting over this. I think everybody here had, had really excellent points. So thank you all for your responses there. And Flo, it's over to you. Well, speaking of corporations uh, that sell people on things they don't need, uh, well, maybe this doesn't really count because we're talking about Lumosity here, which is not not really much of a corporation. But, uh, you know, I was racking my brain on, on what to bring to the table today. And I saw this little uh, ditty pop up on Engadget yesterday. So basically, as published in the Journal of Neuroscience, uh, it turns out that there is no evidence that cognitive training influences neural activity during decision making, nor are there any, nor were there any effects found of cognitive training on measures of, de- of delay, discounting, or risk sensitivity. Uh, and I apologize for butchering that. It's still kind of early for me over here, but basically the premise is this. Those brain training apps that are in the Apple iTunes store and in the Google Play store are not really training your brain to do much. And so I feel a little duped. But also, uh, what was interesting is that they found through research that what these games were actually just teaching you is how to play the games better. 
it's not that your brain was getting any smarter. It's just that you were learning the patterns of the games that you were playing in these particular apps, and that's why you were getting better at them. Kind of like the way you would at Super Mario Brothers. So I was going to ask you guys, do you use brain training apps? Is this hilarious? Are you laughing about this as much as I am? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't use brain training apps, but I do do crosswords every day because at some point they had argued that that was one way to like keep your mind Mm -hmm. sharp. But I've also seen conflicting research there as well that just suggests once again, you get better at doing crosswords, but it doesn't necessarily have a broad based impact on you. And that, that seems to be the case with a lot of these types of specific games is that you're training yourself to be very good at a particular task, uh, but you're not really generalizing those skills. Uh, and I think about that sometimes about, um, you know, the SA, remember doing SAT training yes, in high school? I and do. it's like, oh, yeah, you got way better <laughs> at taking the SAT. Didn't help you with any other part of your life. But <laughs> so, yeah, I think it doesn't really surprise me. And I agree. It's kind of hilarious. Hey, and that's how they trained us, by the way. Sorry, I just have to add. That's how they trained us for the SAT is they just had to study those things over and over and over again that's how you got a better score anyway john (laughs) we've learned anything from the last starfighter it's not to poo poo the idea that you're just merely getting better at a particular game because you don't know how important that could be in the game (laughs) but but setting that aside um anytime something like this comes out like those brain training games turns out they don't make you any smarter or don't help with your brain it's good that people you know that that False claims are debunked that, you know, that if these companies saying, hey, this will, you know, stave off Alzheimer's or whatever. Usually you hear these games in the context of, you know, senior citizens and trying to keep your brain sharp as you age. You know, mm-hmm. at the ripe old age of whatever, however old Dan is, he's got to keep his brain sharp with the crossword puzzles. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think, you know, that that may be true. Right. But I view uh, in the context of people playing games to, you know, quote unquote, keep their mind sharp. I don't really care whether it actually makes them smarter or improves their cognitive abilities because at a certain point, there's two parts of it. One is just the fun of playing a game. And a lot of people need need to have some sort of like, uh, some sort of merit that they can hold up. Like, oh, I'm not just frivolously playing a game. This helps me keep my brain sharp. Mm-hmm. They need that as an excuse merely to have fun. And the second is, even if it doesn't make you smarter, it some for some people, it's just... It's some reason, not, not a reason to get out of bed in the morning, because that sounds depressing, but like <laughs> something to, to focus your mind on, like a project. Like a fidget right? spinner. Like, you know, you, you, uh, no, not, more <laughs> like building a birdhouse or like, or just like having a garden. Like you have a project that you're trying to do that you focus some part of your energy on that motivates you, that you're, ma- that you're progressing through. And, and not that video games are any better than building a birdhouse or having a garden or any worse for that matter. Um, but I don't want people to say, oh... Well, I heard those those brain training games aren't any good. It's just like, is Dan going to be like, oh, well, I, if crossword puzzles don't make me any smarter, I'm not going to play them anymore. No, keep doing it because it's, it's a fun activity. And it's a challenge. And that part of it, just the mere sort of motivation part of it, I find much more important than whether it's actually making me smarter or making me better at, at having more willpower or making better decisions. That That's not important to me. That's well, that's well put. I absolutely agree with that. I think um, one of the big benefits of getting to do a weekly podcast with a neuropsychologist, or rather with a, with a psychologist, which is uh, Georgia Dow, is that you hear all of these things uh, because she's you know constantly going through the studies, and you realize that so much of your life is a lie. Um, it is. <laughs> and so. Uh, <laughs> Basically, what I'm saying is Georgia Dow teaches you your life is a lie. You can quote me on that. But um, I think that 
uh, you know, she she had actually brought this exact thing up before that brain training games don't make you smarter, but they make you better at playing said games. And uh, I guess if you like playing said games, and if you uh, you know get a little jolt of happiness out of playing said game and getting better at it, then that's fantastic. And you know, there are other studies that, as as John was talking about, uh, will actually show that you can improve or rather lessen the chance that in in later life um things like dementia will affect you as early uh and, and you know how how much it could come on depending on your genetics and all that kind of stuff as well so Flo, thank you for that well uh it looks like it is time for halftime and our episode this week is sponsored by our friends at Linode. This episode is brought to you by Linode. Linode lets you get set up in seconds with their fast and powerful hosting. Their tools are easy to understand and they let you choose your resources and Linux distro, giving you the power and flexibility that you need. And guess what? Linode plans start at just five bucks a month for a Linux server with a gigabyte of RAM in the Linode cloud. So what does Linode offer? Well, they've got industry-leading performance with native SSD storage, access to a 40 gigabit network and Intel E5 processors, which are the fastest processors in the cloud market, by the way. They have nine data centers spread across the world, meaning you can serve your customers quickly. They've got an API that allows you to easily automate tasks or develop custom applications in the cloud. They've got super simple scaling, allowing you to resize your servers in just a couple of clicks with perfect alliteration, and it's all manageable via the command line. All of Linode's pricing tiers feature hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups and node balancers. So, Linode has fantastic pricing options available when you inevitably decide to sign up. You can get a server with a gigabyte of RAM for just five bucks a month, and you can go all the way up to 16 gigabytes of RAM for just 60 bucks a month. Across the board, Linode are offering twice the amount of RAM you're going to get elsewhere. As a listener of this very show, if you sign up at linode.com clockwise, which happens to be the name of our show, you're not only going to be supporting all of us here as we play our brain training games, but you're also going to get $20 towards any Linode plan. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's legitimately nothing to lose. So do go to linode.com clockwise to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit. Let me remind you, the plan started just 5 bucks a month. You're going to get 20 bucks. That's awesome. You can also use the promo code clockwise2017 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode for supporting our show. And Dan, it is time for you to take it away. Thank you, Micah. So one of the rumors going around about the next upcoming iPhone is that it might include wireless charging. My my question for you guys is, how important is wireless charging to you in general on your smartphone? Is it something that is sort of a convenience? Uh, is it something you're willing to pay more for as it's been rumored that you might have to with the new iPhone? What are your thoughts on our new wireless charging future? John? Wireless charging is important to me in the big picture in that I don't want to have to keep plugging in phones and other gadgets for the rest of my life because we all have so many things that we have to plug in every day or else i don't want to do that anymore is it important that the very next iphone have wireless charging no am i willing to pay more for it absolutely i'll absolutely pay more for this because it was oh it's just a convenience like i'm not going to say the main thing we do with our phones is charge them but 
it's the one thing we all do with our phones and we do it consistently and it is like the great unifier so i am all on board for wireless charging i just hope it works well and the sooner we start producing the ones that don't work well the sooner we can get to the ones that work well so thumbs up for me wireless charging makes me angry (laughs) jeez (laughs) go on (laughs) because wireless charging like my life is a lie um it is like every time people talk about wireless charging they're talking about having to anchor your phone to some plate in order for it to charge and you know uh, apparently we're shortly uh, going to be living in a future, well, maybe not so shortly, but soon be living in a future um, where we can actually charge our devices while walking around and using them. But uh, until we get there, I don't, I don't think that having to set your phone on some sort of plate or or table or chair that has a built-in charging pad counts as wireless charging. And it frustrates me whenever companies, you know, call it wireless charging. I mean, yes, technically, there's not a wire running from the the phone to the pad. But that's just, uh, it seems misleading, because at least, and I know that some of you will shudder when I say this, at least when the phone is plugged into a cord, I can still use it while it's charging. But if it's on a plate, like I can't lift it up and, and, you know, move around with it and be able to send messages or uh, play my brain training games or what have you. And that's, that's frustrating to me because I don't, I don't think that, at least for me, there's a, a good trade-off between having the ability to, you know, have mobility while charging versus having to wait for it. And maybe that's just because I have no self-control and I have to use my phone whenever I want to use it. Um, but I don't know, maybe I just need to work on my self-flow. Take this question away from me, Well, uh, see, speaking as a seasoned Android user, you know, wireless charging has been part of my life for quite a bit. Uh, In fact, the last couple of Samsung phones (laughs) that I reviewed have all had dual wireless charging of both the Qi and the PMA standards. And for those of you who are really, really into the world of wireless charging, and I know there are some of you out there, you know that Ikea sells furniture with built-in wireless charging. There are uh, some cars out there that you can buy with wireless charging packages so that all you have to do is drop the little phone into your glove compartment and it's going, ooh, I'm getting all this battery life back. Um, <laughs> it's beautiful. It's like a beautiful next-gen idea of how the world is going to be. I mean, you just drop your device somewhere and it's like sucking in all this power. It's cool, right? Uh the ability to walk into a Starbucks and drop your phone down. I mean, and especially speaking to those of you iPhone users, there are very, very many of you here in the United States of America, and there are very, very many Starbucks in the United States of America. So just think about all of those places that you can charge your iPhone. And I know, I know, I know, it kind of sucks that you can't use your phone at the same time, but you kind of can. It's just kind of a cool next-gen thing. But again, guys, I've been covering this stuff for such a long time. Like, I have this hardware laying around. I have wireless charging pads that I have just accumulated over the years. So, you know, maybe I'm the wrong person to ask because it's, you know, (laughs) 
No, maybe you're maybe you're the right Are person to ask. Right? Well, you're you're coming to us iPhone users from the future. So you're telling me about the promised land. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm I kind of uh, of two minds about this because I do have um, Micah's antipathy to this this term, and because you know what we all really want is just our phones to charge basically all the time or never to have to worry about battery life again, and that's not happening anytime soon. So in the meantime, can we make certain parts of that experience a little bit easier? It seems like that's possible. I certainly I charge my Apple Watch every night on a wireless charger, and certainly I don't use my watch as much when it's being charged. Um, but I do think that having at least the option for wireless charging on a new iPhone would be pretty welcome by a lot of people because, you know, for I, I end up with like the loose cables everywhere. Like I've got my nightstand where I plug in my phone every night and like cables fall down, etc. You got to fiddle with them to put them in. So I think in that sense, John is right that the having that convenience of it because we all need to charge our phones uh, is is a big win. But I, I do wonder if it's uh, the premium will outweigh the convenience for me. So I'm kind of curious to see what the implementation is like, but I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, thanks for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our last topic, which comes from John. So the rumor of having face recognition on the iPhone, which I think was discussed on the last episode of Clockwise, uh, got me thinking about cameras in general and how cameras continue to get smaller and cheaper, and seemingly everything we buy for our, our home and our lives has cameras in it. Uh, and I wanted to ask what everybody thinks about. A future where it's just assumed that everything everywhere has cameras, that you are potentially always on camera, cameras that you own, cameras that are part of the public infrastructure. Uh, how comfortable are we all with that? And I don't want everyone just to say, oh, I'm paranoid that I'm going to be on a camera. Can you think of any positive aspects? Like, how does it balance out? Like any technology, there's the potential downside of privacy, but then what, what are the upsides? How do we feel about always being potentially on camera and potentially being recorded, even if only in a 30 second buffer. Ooh, that is a, that is a good question. I mean, it'll probably encourage me to uh, make sure my hair is always on point. Um, but <laughs> other than that, no, I, I kid, I, there was, it wasn't too long ago that there was uh, a news story going around about um, a like pizza shop, I think it was, that had a camera um, that was doing facial, uh, I think it was just facial recognition, not quite facial tracking, and kind of seeing what people's emotions were in the moment and uh, how long they lingered to look at an advertisement and things like that. And it was getting a lot of negative attention because, you know, there was no sort of consent that took place. It didn't happen that people could say, hey, I don't really want my face to be tracked or recognized. And many didn't even know that it was there. Um, I think that there are benefits in many different aspects. I, uh, you know, they're our like crime, our ability to solve crimes and things like that improves as time goes on, as we uh, gain access to more technologies and, and science that can help us uh, answer questions that we don't have the answers to. And so once again, having this sort of technology in those situations can be helpful. Um, thinking about like police body cams as an example. Um, many people who look like me have been shot and killed by police officers in situations where that absolutely should not have happened. So I, I think that, you know, if we have people who are being held accountable for their actions, especially law enforcement and, and things like that, then th that's a positive. Of course, there are also negatives to those exact situations as well, where we could have, uh, 
that used to potentially profile individuals and things. So it's it's a give and take. And I think that, you know, it's something that we're just going to have to come to terms with regardless, because, yeah, there are going to be more and more cameras and they're going to get smaller and better at uh, depth sensing and things like that. And it's just going to become a, a necessary part of our future. So there's good and there's bad. And I hope that the good outweighs the bad. Oh, my gosh, Micah, we are totally on the same page about this. Um, also, because I'm glad that you brought up the body cam thing, because I was thinking about uh, the fact that here in the Bay Area, our Bay Area Rapid Transit, BART, uh, for I would say a couple of decades, was uh, misleading the public about whether or not the cameras on the trains uh, worked. So I grew up riding BART as a as a preteen, as a teenager, as a young adult to to go to college. And I always relied as a as a woman, you know, you're kind of raised like, well, it's, it's a dangerous world out there. So protect yourself. And of course, when you're taking public transportation, you're like, oh, man, I'd you know, that second line of defense being that camera that's watching everything, or at least that's what I thought for so many years. And then when we found out that it was all like, a ruse that those cameras were kind of just there um, as props. Apparently, they they didn't actually work. This was a huge controversy. I'm, it's it's very it was very like, and then they had to take all this money out of the budget to make the cameras work. It was just it felt like such a violation. I thought I was that camera for some reason psychologically for me it added this element of safety um and you know just thinking about i know that it feels really invasive to live somewhere where you constantly have cctv watching you um using uh london as an example i know that they have uh cctv there and that's sort of like helping uh with surveillance for crime and things of the sort like i like that i i like that idea of the camera and i it's not that I'm a proponent of a nanny state. It's just the, I guess, the idea of being safe. But then you have to think about if that's how it's really, if that, if it's being used for good or evil, these cameras. Mm-hmm. So if the cameras are being used for good, they're giving me a sense of safety, a sense of protection that I really like. But then, you know, when I'm at home, I'm putting, uh, tape over any camera that I have in the house, <laughs> except, but then, but then I have Nest Cam. So who am I to talk, right? I mean, it, <laughs> I think we're still exploring this. Where do these cameras live in our lives? How are we going to deal with it? What kind of things need to be put in place to give us more control over what these cameras are recording? I think that's where it's really important. Do we have control over it? Yeah, I mean, a camera is essentially, at the end of the day, a tool. It can be used for good. It can be used for ill. Um, And so in that sense, you know, there's a lot of both sides of it to get out of that tool and you guys have made some excellent points about the the benefits for law enforcement and the benefits of watching law enforcement Mm -hmm. kind of a double-edged sword there uh i think some of the interesting areas that we haven't really explored where it comes to cameras are i'm i'm interested in sort of still the serendipitous effects of them on terms of like social stuff mike mentioned the pizza place for example um and i think other things where it's like um 
the moments that get captured sometimes on those cameras can often provide joy because they're things that otherwise would never have been seen. And and maybe that's too optimistic a viewpoint, but I think it's a it's a aspect of it. Like for example, if you um you went to like say you went to like Disney World with your family and you you broke your phone or something or you didn't end up with pictures and then you found out like oh what but we got like pictures of ourselves on these rides because there were cameras there. Like I feel like, you know, in some circumstances there are interesting there's information to be gathered there that wouldn't otherwise be picked up on. I definitely have cameras in my in my personal life, and I don't necessarily want that you know those to be accessible by everybody or anybody other than me. But it's an intrinsic part of our life nowadays, and it's something that we're going to have to deal with. You guys covered it well. The only other aspect that I'm still thinking of is benefits from cameras that can see us and know what we're up to, like you know devices or features of homes or buildings or cars or anything that are more aware of what we're doing and can be helpful to us and so i'm mm. part of the benefit that i hope i get along with all these cameras everywhere is that the world is smarter and more aware of me as more than just maybe something that's tripping you know an ir sensor which is kind of the, the thing that came in our lifetime like automatic doors or whatever that you don't have to open they just open for you cameras that can actually see me and recognize me and know where i'm looking and who i am they can make my life easier if used well well, thank you all. I would say that that just about wraps things up. But of course, we have a bonus question. And this bonus question is sponsored by puppies, because puppies are great and wonderful and awesome. So I have a question for all of you. What podcast or other form of media, if you're not really a podcast listener, has brought you joy in the past month? Flo, we'll start with you. Uh, Natch Butte. It's about beauty products, yes, but it's hilarious. And I love the host. Her name's Jackie Johnson. Uh, I've been listening to Dragon Friends, which is a uh, game where a bunch of Australian improv comedians play D&D, and it's hilarious. I am a podcast listener, but I'm not going to list the podcast. I recommend everyone check out Glow on Netflix, Netflix because it is funny and interesting and not the kind of thing I ever expected to see a television show about. I gotta start that. Yeah, I've, I've been I've been eyeballing it. I'll have to do it now. Uh, I am going to recommend the Most Important Meal podcast. It's a podcast by Brian Hamilton and Allison Truge. It's about breakfast and so many other things, and it's one of the most delightful podcasts that I you know absolutely cannot miss an episode of. So definitely check out Most Important Meal. Oh, all right. I think we have reached the end of the episode. All that's left is to thank our. Amazing guests, Flo, Ion, thank you so much for thank joining you, us here on Clockwise. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> and John Syracuse, thank you so much for your debut appearance here. We hope to have you back. I hope I was brief enough for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and Micah, that's about it from us this week. So just until next time, let's remind everybody, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.